Here we are now with another episode of the Andrew Lake Podcast. My name is Dosta. Pleased to be with you. Pleased to be speaking again. Today I'd like to talk about Tantra. This is a very broad subject. This is a very deep subject. So this may only serve this conversation today as an introduction, a broad overview. And I'm happy to offer up some specific techniques as well, some actual do-it-yourself at-home techniques that you can try. And really, it's quite hard to know where to begin. It's really quite hard to know how do we tackle something as rich and as deep as Tantra. What comes to mind when you hear this word Tantra? I think for most people, it's sex. It's intimacy. And yet it's something to do with different positions, or yoga, or spirituality, or a Indian culture, a Hindu culture. And on its surface, that's what Tantra is. Tantra is combining meditation with intimacy. Awareness with intimacy. And it's really taking this aspect of our life, which is sex and pleasure, and being in a relationship with someone, and saying, well, how do we look at this through the lens of cultural traditions, cultural religions, philosophies, and how do we apply techniques and processes, much in the same way that we apply meditation techniques to our private life, to our, in, our individual sense of reality. And really, Tantra is as broad a category or subject as meditation. So there are as many Tantra techniques as there are meditation techniques. And of course... The more you explore these things, the more the lines blur. And really, I should say at the onset, or I should make it clear that most people come to the Tantra path or Tantra with at least a little bit of maturity. They're usually a little bit older. And it's usually people who have already got at least some experience on the path of meditation. They've been meditating for some time. They've been trying certain things. And it's hard to, it's really, I'm finding it hard to, where do, where do we begin? Because another thing that, another common way to come to Tantra is, well, I've, I've been in this long-term relationship and I want to spice things up or I want to try something new or I want to make the sex life more interesting, the intimate life. And that's, that's quite common, and that's quite good, because you can find many things in Tantra that serve that purpose. But that's not entirely all. That's not the whole story. Because Tantra 
one of the many things that Tantra is, is actually not only better sex, but it's an opening to intimacy and becoming closer to your partner. And that means not just physically, but also experientially and emotionally and spiritually. So your feelings open up. You have shared experiences which are intense. You have emotional experiences. You share moments of opening perceptions, moments of shifting consciousness, moments of realization that occur at the same time with your partner. And also there's a dissolving. There's a dissolving, there's a changing, there's a dying of what you are. And you go through this with your partner. And it's, in a sense, towards your partner. The journey is both with your partner and towards your partner. And really, how how astonishing that is, is quite scary. That process, there's a lot of fear. And part of the process, well, well, one way of describing this process is you're opening from your fears. You are overcoming your fears. You are facing your fears. Fear is a skewer that we can put through the Tantra path. Because there is a real fear of death. The fear of something in you no longer being there. So, I'm really... My, my mind at the moment is just scrambled with all these ideas of what to talk about next. And in true Dosta fashion, we're going to wade into this territory in any order as I feel fit and in any which way it comes up. But let, let's, let's take a stab at a, a really broad... I mean, we've already covered that it's anything, if we start really broad, super broad, then we can say there's really, let's just bring it down to two components. Tantra, if we water it down into two basic components, is one, anything that you do with awareness. And two, anything that dissolves boundaries. Now, within those categories, you can include almost anything. Do something with awareness. That means you intentionally go in to an action or anything, an experience, with an alertness, with a sensitivity to what's really happening with your consciousness focused on what it is you're doing, the task at hand. And you can say, well, does that mean washing the dishes is a tantra technique? And in essence, yes. Under this category, yes. And you can say, well, I don't need an intimate partner to do that technique. And, you're, and I say, well, you're right. Tantra is not 
exclusively for couples. It can be done alone. Because if you do anything with awareness, you do anything with an intentionality, with the urge, well, urge isn't really the right word, with, I'm trying to think of a better word than intention. The, let's say, the the sincerity, the sincerity to expand your consciousness and a sincere inquiry into how you can do that and you have that sort of attitude, that approach with you and you, you go into anything, then that's Tantra. And the reason we have techniques is because we say, well, some things are easier to do that with than others. And to keep that out through your whole day is, well, that's the life journey. So instead of saying, let's approach my entire life with awareness, well, that's too broad. That's too far out. So let's narrow it down and we can say, okay, this week's Tantra technique is washing the dishes. So every time you wash the dishes, you do it with awareness. You do it with alertness. You remain present. And washing the dishes becomes your trigger as a reminder to say, look, I need to be paying attention to my sense of reality. I need to be aware of what's happening within my phenomena, my phenomenological experiencing, the phenomena that I am experiencing at this moment. And you can repeat this for some time and you form something that happens with your, and you have insights from washing the dishes. And this becomes a technique for you. It becomes something that you can then expand on. And you'll find it spilling over into other things. Now, when it comes to sex, we can say, well, what's the difference between tantric sex and just plain old regular ABC sex? Well, it's the same principle as washing the dishes as a tantra technique. We say, I'm going to go into this act with the sincerity, with the intention of inquiring and learning and expanding for the purposes of consciousness, more awareness, more sensitivity a deeper relationship with reality. So you can see there, in the case of sex, why it's really an important thing to have a meditation practice. In essence, in in this example, we're saying you meditate while you're having sex. I'm going to have sex with my partner, and while I do it, I'm going to do what I do in my meditation. Now, if you don't have a meditation practice that initial step is not going to be very strong. And really, you you have to be... I mean, it all comes back to this. So often it comes back to this. We're going to be saying it again. You're going to hear it again, not just from me, but from so many people. And I'm sure you've heard it. You should know by now. Meditation is a must. It has to be part of your diet, part of your routine, part of your exercise. 
And it should be just like exercise in that, well, you might not have a strict routine. You might not say, okay, here's my do every day list, tick, tick, tick. It doesn't have to be like that. But you have to be remembering, saying, oh, I haven't meditated in a while. I should do it. I really should be meditating every day. Oh, I didn't yesterday, so I will today. And what meditation you do, well, that's what we talk about all the time on here. I can tell you hundreds of techniques. You can try them all. But really, even more fundamental than that is that you have to be meditating. And I'm going to say it again and again and again. So sex as an intention to be aware is tantric sex. And you can do it with washing the dishes or having sex. And how much you get out of that is something that you build, how much you grow within your intention. Your intention to be aware grows. Your ability to pay attention grows as you practice it. So that's, if we say that's going into anything with awareness, then our other big pillar of Tantra was, do you remember what I said? (laughs) Dissolving boundaries. So anything that dissolves boundaries is a Tantra technique. And this really brings me to it really brings me to sort of the philosophy or the theory of Tantra. And this is well there's two ways you can dissolve a boundary broadly speaking. You can a boundary is between two things. So to dissolve the boundary, you can either Merge those two things together, or you can tear them apart. And you tear them apart as far as you can, so that they're no longer there's no longer a boundary at all. So if you think back to that very first person you were with back in middle school, who you no longer talk to and you've never been with, you haven't spoken to in years since, Well, you wouldn't say there's a boundary between you and her, or you and him, whoever it is, because they're long gone. There's no boundary. And now that's not quite the same as what we're talking about when you're working with an intimate partner and you're trying to separate yourselves or polarize yourselves. This This is a good word for it, to polarize yourself. So the merging is... How do we make these two things as similar as possible, so similar and so merged that they are the exact same thing? And then polarizing, which is expanding yourself beyond the boundary, is how do we make these two things as different as possible? How do we make them as unalike as possible? And this really is the masculine and feminine. This is the man and the woman. This is the 
magnetic field of north and south. Do you remember that magnets only attract when they're opposite? Did you ever play that? When you play with magnets as a kid and you try and push the two wrong ends together and they don't fit, they don't, there's, a, there's a magnetic force there forcing them apart, whereas you turn them around or you turn one of them around and they snap together. It's the same thing as the masculine and the feminine. Now, in Tantra mythology, so that, that's a little bit, that's a broad, keep, keep this in mind. Let me just finish off this point. Keep this in mind. You've got dissolving boundaries, and that's done through making things pol- either polarized or merged. And then you've also got going into things with awareness. So that's a basic 101 theory of Tantra. And all of the techniques fall into those sort of different categories, those sort of different things. So when you have an, a Tantra technique, ask yourself, is it, is it a merging one or is it a polarizing one? And always do it with awareness. You always go into it with a sincere alertness, a sincere inquiry for the purposes of expanding your relationship with reality. So let's move on from the theory now into some of the mythology. So Tantra is thousands of years old. It is part of the world religions well some of the world religions and here in the west with our judeo-christian history the basic theory of sex is well a man and a woman should be married in the eyes of god and anything else is adultery and there's been a lot of restrictions on sex There have been a lot of taboos. There have been a lot of laws. And so when we had our cultural revolution and God died in the metaphorical sense or in the philosophical sense in the early 19th century, we had our sexual revolution, which was, wow, we don't have any rules anymore. We can explore our sexuality And also the invention of the pill and contraception helped with that. So it wasn't just a it wasn't just a philosophical revolution, it was also a technological revolution. And it was also an informational revolution. So the culture doesn't culture doesn't shift by philosophical thoughts alone. It shifts in many ways. It's just that we can look at it. One way of looking at it is that, oh, the philosophy changed because the beliefs around God changed. And that story in the West of, oh, we've been suppressed sexually and we had to be dressed up very proper and we had to never talk about it and we had to always hide our bumps and lumps 
And then the only time we could really do it was when we went through this long, arduous process of finding a partner, dating them, being engaged, inviting the family, inviting grandma, holding this big wedding ceremony. And after years and years, then you could finally have sex. And that sort of conservatism and then contrast that with the sexual revolution, which is, yeah, let's take our shirts off and be at the beach wearing next to nothing or even in some countries, absolutely nothing. And the sexual freedom of all multiple partners, we can have one night stands, we can have orgies and we can have we can have sex with all sorts of men and women, gay and lesbian Mardi Gras. The gay and lesbian revolution is part of the sexual revolution. So that's another, there's another cultural blur there between the pluralistic meme or equal rights for everyone and sexuality. And you see that in the gay and lesbian celebration. You can say, well, you're just celebrating your sexuality. You can say, well, no, they're not just celebrating their sexuality, they're celebrating something which is their identity, and it's a cultural freedom which has been gained. So it's one thing to say sexuality is just a small part of people's beings, and it's another thing to say, well, no, it represents a deeper cultural identity. But this is the story that we have. This is the story of our lives. Culturally. And I'm talking culturally and collectively here. That is only one culture. That's only one story. Well, it's a bit tricky to use this word culture because it's like... It's like there's multiple cultures. If we say Western culture, well, it's not just... It's just not America or Europe or Canada or Australia or these white English-speaking countries because you can say that they, they are their own cultures and they had their own revolutions in their own way. But if we use this word culture as the most broadly speaking to include all of the West, well, then we can say that that's very different to the East. There is a different story in the world's religions. And the different story is in Hinduism. And in Hinduism, there has been sexual freedom. There has been an embracing of pleasure. There has been an embracing of polarizing the masculine and the feminine. There's been an embracing of the merging The pinnacle text, or the texts of Hinduism, is the Bhagavad Gita. And there is a Tantra Hindu text, which is the Kama Sutra. Now, most people have heard of these texts. Most people know at least a little bit about Hinduism and world religions. But let me... Let me give a bit of a ABC story 
which is that in the Bhagavad Gita, think of it sort of like Greek mythology, in that we have these characters. The Bhagavad Gita is a story of these characters, and these characters are gods, and they interact with mortals. And each story can be sort of like a fable, or it can have a subtle moral implication, or it can have an existential implication. And it's all done in the way of mythology. So they're written thousands of years ago, so they're always at least a little bit vague, a little bit open to interpretation. And of course, in the Bhagavad Gita, there's also complexities, just like there is in Greek mythology. And sometimes it's very hard to follow, because one god turns into another god, and then turns into a mortal, and then interacts with another god, which is also turned into a different god, but also remembers its past lives. And then a third god comes along and transforms one of them. So this whole thing of who's named who, and who is what, and who's a man, and who's a woman, who's a mortal, who's a god... Well, we can leave that to the scholars. Really, all we need to know for today is that there are characters in a story which illustrate something to us about the world through the lens of Hinduism. Now, when it comes to the Kama Sutra, if you type in the Kama Sutra, usually the thing that comes up is a whole bunch of sex positions. And you can say, well, how do I find new sex positions? How do I find new things in the bedroom? How do I try new things? How do I pleasure myself? How do I get more pleasure out of sex? And this is similar with the the yoga advance or the yoga component of Tantra. Because you can have better sex through yoga. How How do we translate these yoga positions into sex positions? And the Kama Sutra, an old text, is full of sexual positions. But that's not the deepest insight. That's not the point of the book. The point of the book is that it's an existential philosophy. And it's not only a a discussion or an explanation or like a how-to of being in the bedroom, but it's also how to be a lover, how to live the life of pleasure, how to relate to certain people in certain ways, how to relate to a God, how to relate to a work. And the ideas of polarizing things and merging things applies to all of those aspects of life. So the Kama Sutra is not just a picture book with positions. It's also about energy. It's also about flow. It's about the masculine. It's about the me- uh, the feminine, the masculine and the feminine. So let me let me offer up a bit of a story, which illustrates nicely. I think uh, which one am I going to tell? I'm going to have to think of this. So with in mind this idea of the masculine and the feminine, let me just weave some cartoons out of Hindu mythology. Shiva is the name of the god 
which most generally represents masculine energy. Shiva the Destroyer is what they call him. And Shiva is a very dominant character in Hindu mythology. And the Yang of the Yin, (laughs) or the polar opposite, we might say, of Shiva, is Shakti. And Shakti is the feminine energy. She is the mover of the world. She is the divine goddess. And one story goes that Shiva, being the amazing, all-powerful god that he is, was sitting on his meditation stool, being infinite, basking in his power, completely satisfied with existence. And he just sits there with his eyes closed. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't need to prove anything to anyone. He doesn't need to go out of his way. He's got all that he wants. Being Shiva the Destroyer. Shiva the God. And along comes Shakti. And she's a bit... Ooh, there's a nice Shiva. And she does a little bit of a dance. She dresses seductively. She does her makeup. She does her hair. She sort of does a little bit of that old old bikini girl on the beach. Let me just, oops, I just put my towel out and oh, let me just bend over. But of course, Shakti, is, she's more classy than a bikini girl on the beach. She, she's a goddess, so she, she's not playing those sort of teenager games. She's doing it in a seductive way. She's doing an eloquent, dan- eloquent dance. But Shiva doesn't notice. It's not working. So Shakti goes, oh, well, what, what am I going to do about this? He's not, he's not paying me any attention. So she has to go to one of the other gods for help. And she finds someone who's willing to, okay, let's get this started. And that god pulls out a special bow and arrow, which is the bow and arrow of passion. And just as Shiva is sitting there, relaxed, in his full meditation, this god shoots the arrow straight into his heart. And at that moment, Shiva's heart explodes. It opens with a fire, with a rage. Passion is born. And of course, he opens his eyes, quite angry. Who has been disturbing my meditation? How dare they interrupt the magnificence of Shiva the Destroyer? And as soon as he opens his eyes, his third eye is awakened with all that energy and out of it shoots this laser beam, which kills the god incinerates the god that had given him passion. 
Of course, Shiva the destroyer is very powerful. He can destroy anything. But at that time, with passion, came the allure. And Shiva noticed Shakti. And of course, Shakti is quite scared of Shiva now. She's just seen the destruction, the power that he has. With the look from his eyes, he can destroy something. So she runs away, fearful. She makes as much space between him, herself, and Shiva as possible. But not before Shiva notices, ooh, there is a beautiful Shakti over there. Very seductive dress that she's wearing. Quite beautiful. And for some time they hunt after each other. There's a quite an adventure over the lands and across the, the galaxy. Because Shiva really has his heart open. He must find her. He must capture her. He must merge with her. And Shakti actually goes to many lengths to escape from Shiva. She goes to such extraordinary lengths that she even transforms herself. She transforms herself into a butterfly, thinking he'll never recognize me. He'll never know what I am. And I'll be safe, because he'll never see it. I'll go completely unnoticed if I just turn myself into a butterfly. And of course, Shiva comes along and sees a butterfly and thinks, Wow, that's beautiful. Let me get closer to this butterfly. And he works out quite quickly that the best way for him to be close to a butterfly is to become a butterfly himself. So he turns himself into one. And he chases her as a butterfly. Chases a butterfly. And of course, Shakti gets more ideas than just the butterfly. She turns herself into this, that, and the other thing. An elephant. A snake. And even a man or a woman. And that's how we get the universe. That is the story of things coming into existence. That is the story of, pop, here we are. Why is there something here? Well, because there's a great energy trying to catch another energy. And that energy that's trying to catch another energy is having the other energy run away from it. This is plutonium. This is nuclear physics. When you have energies that don't go together and you smash them together very close, then you have this explosion. And that's what existence is. That's, the, that's one of the Hindu stories of why this cosmos is here. So that's the mythology 
That's a little bit of the history. And there are many versions and many tales of not only Shiva and Shakti, but also all of the Hindu gods, Brahma, Vishnu, Dataguru. And there's many different there's many different ins and outs that happen. There's many different ups and downs and all over the places sort of lessons. And they don't all have an exact existential insight like this is how the earth was created, this is how the cosmos was created. But it's a variety. That's why it's rich. That's why there's so much to it. One of my favorite, if I can just go on a little bit of a tangent, I'll share one of my favorite stories which was told to me about the Bhagavad Gita. Have I told too many stories? Uh, I should I shouldn't guess to myself too much. I think you're enjoying these stories. Let me Well, it, this won't take long. Let's just get on with it. <laughs> one of my favorite stories is that there's a master and a student. And the student is learning how to be a warrior from this master. And the master is a retired warrior. And one of the lessons that the master is trying to impart to the student is that you shouldn't hesitate before you kill. As soon as you know there's going to be a kill, you should kill. And you really have to know it before you know it. It really has to already be where you are. It has to already have been something you've done. Almost like you've almost like it's your destiny to make this kill. There really has to be no second guessing. No second chance. Because on the battlefield, in that moment. There's no room for doubt. If you flinch just a minute, just a second, then you die. You're killed. And this is how the master warrior survived so many wars. This is why he lived to teach students such as this devotee who is learning how to be a warrior. And the story goes that This master and this student parted ways and they went off into different directions and had different things happen to them in their life. And particularly, the student had many adventures and many battles and won many battles thanks to his master, but never forgot him, but was also never in contact with him, never came across his path again because of how many different wild places the path of life can take. Until that fateful day, that day of destiny, when the student is at war and he's no longer a student, he's a real master now, he's a general And he's leading his army and he's in the thick of the battle. And he comes across this exact moment when he sees his master. And yet he's 
fighting for the other team. He's fighting from the other side. And he looks into his master's eyes. And without hesitating, he kills him. And somehow the master knew that he'd taught him well. He knew that he had to die. He knew that he was doing the right thing by killing this master. Because if he'd had hesitated, well then, would the master have then been able to kill his former student? Would his teaching have failed him? So that's another little story that I carry with me. And you can see just in that how there's not exactly a clear moral. It's not exactly a clear ABC virtue that you draw from that. But there's many ways that you can think that through. Now, when it comes to Shiva... (laughs) And Shakti, well, this is a tale I think we all can see, even in this modern age. And this is the tale of... (laughs) This is the tale of Chasing Tail. (laughs) The woman making herself look all pretty. Oh, look at me. Aren't I so fancy? Come and get me, boys. And all the boys line up and all the boys... Chase after all this, I can do this for you. Oh, look at this. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I'm after you. Oh, you're so precious. Oh, you're so beautiful. Yes, all the women get all the attention, don't they? And then, of course, it's not just one way. It's always back and forth. It's always push and pull. Do you know this? Do you know this game of push and pull? It really is. So this is... This is our way of talking about the the personal story of sexuality. This is the personal merging together of someone, you with someone, or the polarizing. And it's so funny that really when you when you see people when when we watch these movies of the these these cheesy romantic comedies or these cheesy chick flicks the couple which has the tension between them well then they're the ones you know are going to get together the the couple that start out as arguing are the ones that end up together always it's always the case that they have this disagreement and there's this big emotional uh, there's there's something that just i'm pissed off or I don't like you, or this doesn't work, you're doing it wrong. And the reason that happens is because there's, a, there's an overcorrection of the polarity. When you have two people together and there's an emotional friction, well, that means that the, pole, the poles are apart. That's the north and the south trying to get together. And after they come apart, they come together. There's a merging. So this flux of in and out, in and out. And this is the personal story. This is the personal game of, well, now there's a whole industry. 
There's a whole industry of pickup. There's a whole industry of how guys can get girls. And there is something shallow in that. There is something... Well, you see, there there's a difference between Tantra as a awareness technique for your intimate couple, your intimate partner, and trying to find a partner and actually opening yourself socially, or opening yourself to your connections with other people. And it is that. It is such that you, if you do these tantra techniques, you become more open and you become more willing and more able to connect with people, which can lead to meaningful relationships. But it's not, it's not exactly a, oh, I'm doing a tantra technique when I'm actually just chasing tail or I just need to get a girlfriend or I'm chatting up this girl because I want to get in her pants. That's not what's going on there. <laughs> That's not what's happening. There's there's a difference between depth and just chasing tail like a like a teenage boy. There's and and well, I I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm not an expert in pickup. I don't know much about pickup. <laughs> and maybe that shows. I don't want to say too much about myself, but this Let's make it clear, this, this industry of, you, you, go, you go onto the internet and you see this ad, which is, well, I get these ads, maybe it's just because I'm male that I get these ads. You see this ad of, oh, I can help you get a girlfriend. Or this is how you should speak to women. Or this is what you can do to talk to girls more. And there are conferences, there are workshops, there are individual sessions that you can get. There are gurus. I don't know if you call them a guru. I guess you call them a self-help speaker. But that industry, that whole, the whole vibe, the whole pickup community is, is not really anything to do with Tantra. When we talk about Tantra, we're talking about meditation techniques. Working out your own inner world. Opening your own boundaries. Merging with yourself. Understanding polarity and not playing with it in a, with some ulterior motive. So working on Tantra techniques alone opens you up to meaningful relationships. It opens you up to a deep connection with someone. So it's much more likely that if you are working with Tantra and meditation techniques and you're working yourself, working on yourself, that you will have a meaningful relationship that lasts. And you will really start to experience what it means to be close to someone. And I don't know if these pick-up teachers really help with making you genuinely, authentically 
close with someone. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. I don't know. And then it's so hard to to talk about it because it's a whole, there's a whole, I'm sure there are good, there is bad, there's the whole spectrum there. And that's not, that's not Tantra. That's not meditation. That's not opening yourself spiritually and emotionally and experientially. Another thing I'll quickly mention in relation to Hindu mythology or the world religions is this temple, which is the Kajuraho temples. And I believe that is spelt K-H-A-J-U-R-A-H-O temples and I'll write this in the description so just quickly have a look at some images of this temple to see how far back sexuality in relation to religion goes these are these are thousands of years old and they're beautiful temples they've got these sculptures of these I guess you call them people, but they could be they could be gods. Who knows what they believed? And they're doing these sexual acts, they're doing these sexual positions. And they're quite they're, they're quite stunning. They're quite beautiful. And really it's mind-boggling to it's quite a shock to the western mind because of this story of oh, we were sexually repressed and then we had this sexual revolution. And then we come across this temple, which is, well, actually, for thousands of years, in certain cultures, in certain ways, sex has not always functioned that way. So take a look at those temples, and I'll mention it in the comments. No, not the comments, the description. And really, just to sum up this one little part of the the push-and-pull game, if you don't argue with your partner, that might be an indication that there's no there's no spark, there's no there's no passion. And in the story of Shiva and Shakti, you can see that the the arrow of passion going into his heart is actually something quite dangerous. There's something aggressive. And there is something aggressive in testosterone. There is something aggressive in the man. Men are aggressive. That's one of the characteristics of the masculine. It's the, it's the destroyer. It's the, it's the staunch, oh, I'm coming at you. I'm going to kill you sort of attitude. This is a masculine quality. And there's a very fine, well, you can see it as a very fine difference or a fine line between, oh, I'm going to kill you and I'm going to conquer you. I'm going to make you mine. I'm going to make you my woman. And even maybe in a more mature way, 
you would say, I'm going to use my masculine energy to fight for you. And that energy is going to be something that's positive for you. And on the woman's side, well, it is very hard for a woman to feel safe. A woman needs to feel safe. Women are vulnerable. Women do worry. And they have every reason to be worried because men have abused them for centuries. Men have been aggressive for centuries, for millennia. So there's a lot in the woman's conditioning, which is how to make you feel safe. And you can see how tricky it is to resolve those two complexes, to resolve that paradox, those sides. Because the man that is, oh, oh, baby, yeah, everything will be fine. Oh, we can relax. Oh, everything's safe. Oh, we can do whatever we want. Oh, I'll make everything right for you. Oh, I'll take care of you. That sort of man, that sort of story, or that attitude of putting them into a, a safe, safe house, well, that very quickly turns into apathy. It turns into boredom. It turns into, oh, this is just, ugh. Where's the excitement? So the game of aggression and integrating aggression into something positive and understanding passion and what it means to fight for someone and to use that in a positive way and also making someone feel safe and being sensitive and being soft and knowing when it's the time to protect or to be quiet or to be stable, well, that's just the richness of a relationship. That's the dynamic of the relationship. And that's what you really want in an intimate partner. When couples say, oh, we want to spice up our sex lives... Well, really, you can expand that and just say, well, we want to spice up our life. And there's an easy way to, to understand all these complexes. And it's, it's simply, you want flow. You want something that's also always changing, but also the same. So if you think of a river, have you ever sat by a river and just watched what's happening? Just sit quietly and look at a river sometime when you get the chance. Because a river is a perfect example of something that is always changing and yet always the same. The water doesn't quite fall through that space between that rock there and that rock there. And yet somehow the shape sort of always is the same. It's always flowing over that rock in that way. And if I look at it long enough, I can see how it's always the same. It's flowing. Flow is a good word for it. And that's what you want in a relationship. You don't want a, a slow, gluggy, stagnated relationship. And you don't want a relationship that's changing and, oh, we can do all this, oh, we can try that. That's unstable. That's too, that's too all over the place. But you want one that's dynamic, that's changing, that's having new things. And having new things happen all the time in a way that's also safe and comfortable. 
And Tantra is the way to do that. Because you can ask yourself, if you're stagnant, you can say, well, are we together? Are we too much the same? And young couples, early, when you're first in a relationship, the the fun game that new couples play is, oh, aren't we so much the same? We're so similar. Oh, you like this? I also like this. Oh, you do this? Oh, I also do this. Oh, you feel this way about this? I also feel this way about this. Oh, you talk like this? I also talk like this. Oh, you think that? I also think this. And it goes on and on. The man and the woman are are convincing themselves that they are exactly the same in so many ways. Oh, we are just like each other. We match so well because we're so similar. We're a perfect match because we're just the same and we both understand each other. (laughs) And then at that critical moment, boom, the explosion, that moment when you realize we're not the same. And there can be a quiet panic to that. What, what, What is this? I thought we understood each other. I thought we were meant for each other. I thought we were a match. And I can't understand how he would be this way. How could he be so different to me? <laughs> and that's, that's the birth of the arguments. That's the birth of really opening up to what are our differences. And that becomes more and more intense. Until... One of the partners is saying about the other, oh, they don't understand. I can't believe they do this. It's outrageous that they would say this. How can they feel this way? They're not good enough at this. They don't even do this. They don't even do this. Can you believe they don't do this? It's unacceptable. It's outrageous. And that's the polarity of, well, it's, it, it is polarity. That's the dynamic of polarity, of going apart. Now, these sorts of games between couples are largely psychological. In, in your most ABC common standard relationship, they're psychological, which means they're talking about it and they're thinking about it and they're putting words to actions. And the dominant thing is the words that are said. It's the words that are said about behavior the words that are said about feelings, the words that are even said about relationships or the words that are said about ideas or thoughts or beliefs or even words, words about words. But when we have a relationship which involves tantra techniques and meditation techniques, you're connecting more. You're connecting with more than just your psychology. You're connecting with your emotions and with your perceptions. And you can actually use a tantric principle for your perceptions. Which means, hey, let's look at the same thing. Let's use our eyesight to really look. And we look at exactly the same thing. And we see what happens. 
And actually, eye-gazing is a Tantra technique. It's a technique of perception. So, with your partner, you sit down and you gaze into their eyes and you say, I'm only going to keep eye contact no matter what for as long as I can. Well, you can set a timer. And with your partner, you say, well, yes, you're on board as well with this. And then you would start to see things would come up. You might have a giggle or you might feel awkward. You might ha start having thoughts. Oh, what are they thinking? What am I thinking? Should I say something? Now, eye gazing has a lot of different variations to it. There are a lot of forms that you can do. But just an ABC eye gazing is you sit cross-legged, holding hands, and you don't talk. There is also talking in some versions of it, certain kinds. But just an ABC would be no talking. And just 10 minutes of that, a lot can happen in 10 minutes. If you've never done it before and you're going in cold, you'll be surprised at how much comes up in 10 minutes. Because you'll be thinking, what, what, what is she thinking? What is, he, what is he doing? What is he going to say? What is happening inside? Because you're, you're sitting there and you're both looking at exactly the same thing you're looking at eyes. You're both doing the exact same thing. So it's this, this coming together and making something perfectly the same between you, which only accentuates the differences. It only increases the polarity. And there might be awkward body positions, awkward body movements, the nervous twitch that comes up. Your breathing might change. And all sorts of... The, there's a whole pantheon of thoughts that can happen during eye gazing. So eye gazing is... Well, it's a very basic but very powerful tantra technique. And you can try it today if you have a t tantra partner. And from there you can think up... All sorts of variations. Do, do eye-gazing, but you do talk. Do eye-gazing, but you don't touch each other. Do eye-gazing from a slight distance. Do eye-gazing while standing. And even you can do eye-gazing during sex. Now, most often during sex, the woman closes her eyes or both close their eyes, and they go into themselves. And you can see how, how you feel having sex with prolonged eye contact. And it's not always pleasant, the things that come up. There might be uncomfortableness. And there is a lot of uncomfortableness in eye-gazing. Eye-gazing really... I mean, I've brought it up here, but I feel there's so much that can be explained and so much that can be discussed because there's so much to explore in it. There are so many things that do happen. And one of the things is that someone actually starts to see you for who you are.
someone actually looks at you and you realize they are looking and you can't get out of the fact that they are seeing you, it's inescapable. There's no way you can deny it. And this whole thing of, oh, what are they looking at? Oh, what do they see? That is the unraveling of you. Because if you stare into their eyes and you ask, what does that person see? And you ask it for long enough and you really follow it, you'll realize that they don't see anything. Which can bring you to the realization that you are nothing. That you don't exist. All these things that you carry with you, your thoughts, your memories, even your feelings, they're all gone. And that can bring you very close to someone. Because it means that person is connecting with you on a level that's deeper than your thoughts and your memories and your feelings. They're really looking into your soul. They're really looking into your spirit. And to trust someone enough to do that, to trust someone enough to let them in on that level and to know that you'd have to be you, you have to give up certain things certain things die this comes back to what we said at the beginning there's a fear of death there's a fear of dissolving because when you merge with someone certain things die certain things about yourself you can't Keep carrying with you. And that's a very deep connection. That is a very deep journey to go on with your partner. So don't underestimate the simplicity of something like eye contact. And like all meditation techniques... Tantra techniques are often very simple. They're very simple, but they're very deep. So that's at least one practical thing which gets at what we've been talking about so far, eye gazing. You can find out a lot about eye gazing Lots of people talk about it. So from here, I feel like the conversation could do, it could go a few different ways. So let me just do maybe sort of like an introduction for say maybe three or four different pillars that we have now. So we've got T 
Tantra as a philosophy. And that is the theory behind it. That is the mythology behind it. This is the story of Shiva and Shakti. And that would also include your psychology of the masculine and the feminine. So that's one big, that's one big pillar. It's the, it's the theory, the theory of Tantra. And then we've also got Tantra techniques, like we've just talked about now as eye gazing. And I've got a whole bunch of those. There's, a, there's a, this huge long list that I've got. And that is, that is do this in this way and look out for ABC and possibly other things. And there's, I don't know if this is the bright place to share those. I think the eye gazing is enough to start with at least. And maybe in another episode I can specifically show and tell the exact techniques of what to do with your partner. But then there's this third pillar, which is... How do I approach my partner with this? And it's hard to really say because there's, it's really hard to sort of pitch this because there's always a spectrum of who's taking these words. And there's all sorts of stages that you're at. There's all sorts of, well, say you're in a long-term relationship and you want to spice things up. Well, then there's going to have to be a conversation and it's going to have to be an ongoing conversation which you're going to have to break open with which is hey how do we how do we make this a part of our a part of our relationship and if it's only one of you that's studying tantra then there's going to have to be at some point a sales pitch there's going to have to be this thing of oh how how are we going to get the other partner on board and if you're doing meditation and your partner isn't, well, then that's an even bigger hurdle. That's an even more tricky thing because you might be already saying, oh, look, we need to meditate more or exercise more. If, you've got, if you're in a relationship and only one of those people are into self-actualizing or transformative practice or these positive things, then... There's only so far that relationship can go before things change because that self-actualizing person is going to become more and more dynamic. They're going to grow more and they're going to. The harsh reality is they're going to grow out of that relationship. But if the partner can get on board, then they can grow into the relationship. They can grow together. And and I have to be very careful here because it's not it's not as black and white as Oh well, I do meditation, and I know, man, uh, I know tantra. So you should do what I say, or you should be doing the things I'm doing. It, that's never going to work. That's not the sales pitch. That's not how you approach this with your partner. It's tempting, and in a sense, you are right. But that's that's not that's not the way to to go about this. Now it might be that you're not in a relationship. It might be that you're trying to find a tantra partner. And in that case, well, you can learn these things so that when you're ready, 
it's it's good for you. And I know I know that's a hard slog. That's a that's a tough pill to swallow, which is you work on yourself so that when someone does come along it's good. That's a very <laughs> No one really wants to hear that, I don't think. They just want to say, well, I am ready. I just need a partner. Please give me a partner. How do I find a partner? Maybe these pickup gurus, maybe these pickup gurus are starting to speak some truth to me. <laughs> maybe I do need to listen to these pickup, these cheesy pickup artists. Well, I don't know. Maybe that's up to you. But that's a different stage. And if that's that's where you're at, you, you should wait until you find someone who is open to these things. You have a better idea of who you're after. And you can use it as a conversation topic. You can use it as, as an entrance. You can say, hey, I've been learning these things. Have you heard about these things? And don't do it in a sleazy way. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm the worst person to be saying that. <laughs> don't, don't be sleazy, <laughs> says Dosta. Well... <laughs> Doster, we all know your track record. <laughs> well, let's not make this about me. But if you're in a long-term relationship or you're single or you're in a new relationship, apply Tantra techniques with, with awareness, with a sensitivity. Either way, it's going to be different for every relationship, not only depending on where you're at, but also what what the relationship is like. It might be that your partner is very open. It might be that your partner does have an interest in these things, but you never knew. And it might be, well, you're listening to this man talk about Tantra on the internet and your world is becoming more and more separate from your partner. Because the more and more you learn, the less and less you have to share, or the less you can share with your partner. That should be a gauge, actually, about where your relationship is heading. Do you feel as you learn more, you have more to share with your partner? Or do you feel... As you learn more, you're more separated from, you're more isolated from your partner. And that's not to say something about learning in and of itself. It might be saying something about the application of the learning and how you're adapting to this new information. It might be up to you to learn how to integrate information and new knowledge into your relationship and into your life. And even, actually, this, this is a good round back to the start of the conversation where we talked about polarizing and merging and also what it means to do something with awareness. You can actually turn your conversation with your partner into a tantra technique by simply doing it with awareness doing it with an alertness and doing it with an integrity doing it with the the sincerity of hey i'm stepping up to my authentic self 
And that can, can make that can make for some very juicy conversations. That can make for some very close connections. You can become frightfully close to someone when you talk your being, when you talk your authentic self. And it might be that you need to practice doing that. It doesn't necessarily mean forcing yourself on someone. It doesn't mean forcing your ideas and being strong in yourself. No, there's a difference between being staunch with who you are and being authentic with who you are. And that's something to inquire into. That's something to practice. And that falls under the category of Tantra. So some of the techniques, I'll just mention them here. One of the techniques is body proximity awareness. So in a nutshell, that's where you sensitize yourself to how close or how far away your body is to your partner's body. You can do this by, well, you can do this either naked if you do it naked, it can become very powerful. But even not naked, it has an effect. You stand toe-to-toe with your partner, nose-to-nose. And then you stay there for a few moments and then you move apart. You move back. And then you stay there and you see how you feel. And then you move back together again. Toe-to-toe, nose-to-nose. And there, are, there's, there's a whole range of complexities to this which is why i'm only just mentioning it but you can also do things like well on one time together we kiss and then we move apart and then another time we come together we hug and then we move apart and then another time together we touch each other and if you're doing this naked well usually when when you're becoming intimate and you get naked it's just that you're apart and then you come together but here in this body proximity awareness technique You are coming together and then moving apart and then coming together and then moving apart multiple times. And that's sensitizing yourself to the attraction, to the the magnetic suck that you have towards each other. And couples can use this even in a way that they go to work. So they go apart for the day. And they sensitize themselves to, oh, my partner has been away all this time. And then now we're back together again. This is why this is why when you say goodbye to your partner for the day and they go off to work, it's so important. It's so important to make it positive. And those old couples say, oh, phew, dad's home. Who cares? Well, that's a, that's a stale relationship. And also, you can't, you can't fake your happy goodbye. You can't be saying, oh, I'm going to say goodbye in this passionate, oh, it's so good. No, you can't fake it. It has to be authentic. It has to be done with awareness for it to really work. Because if you fake your, oh, yes, I'm, if you fake your attraction, then you only get fake attraction. So that body, see, 
I don't know how to explain these techniques in just a few words. There's so much to them. <laughs> that's called body proximity awareness, and there's more to it. There's so much more to it, but that's at least one example. And then, uh, well, there's another one, which is energy circles. So when you have sex, your sex centers, your organs are connected, and they're energy centers. And that's usually where the energy flows. But actually, there are other parts of the body which are energy centers, and you can connect them both during sex and also not during sex. For example, you can put your heads together. So if you put your forehead to touch the forehead of your partner as you hug, that creates an energy flow, that creates a difference, that creates a merging. And there's a whole range of those. Energy flow between bodies is, is, a, is a whole category of tantra techniques. And you can do those even by yourself. So when we talked about masturbation in the Learning to Breathe series, have you heard that series? There's a little bit of tantra in there, actually. But we talked about masturbation and the energy flow of the head and the heart through the palms of the hands was to help spread the energy because this sexual urge which leads to masturbation is an imbalance of energy. So that's energy circles and head-to-head is just one examples, one example. And then there's also reversing roles. So this idea of Shiva and Shakti and the man and the woman, you realize that in this Hindu mythology, it's actually that there's a God in all of us and there are multiple characters within us. So there's not only, it's not that you're a man, so you're Shiva, or you're a woman, so you're Shakti. No, you're actually both. You're both masculine and feminine. And your divine nature is a merging of those two within you. And really a divine tantra is the, the dissolving of the boundaries within you. It doesn't involve a partner. Really high-level tantra. Now, it's it sort, of, it sort of come across here when I've talked about this, like, oh, real tantra is when you have a partner and you're doing something sexy with your, with your boyfriend or girlfriend. And if you don't have a partner, well, you can just practice beforehand. No, no actually, there's a, there's a beyond. There's a higher tantra. So there's not only an entry-level tantra, which is by yourself, and then a middle tantra, which is with your partner, but there's a beyond, which is tantra alone. It's the celibacy. And I really only have time now to mention that. Maybe we can do, maybe we can do a whole series on tantra. Would anyone listen to that? Would anyone be interested in that? I don't know. It, I feel like there's enough here. So the reversing the roles is you're the, you're the man, but you become the woman. You become Shakti. And your girlfriend is the woman, but she becomes Shiva. And that's reversing roles. And there's a whole bunch of techniques that go in that category. And then there's also, there's also sensory deprivation which is techniques to do with the blindfold and touch. 
And there's also kinesthetic boundary dissolution. So that's involving objects. It's starting to sound a bit kinky, isn't it? But you can actually do tantra with certain objects to help expand your sense of your, your boundary, the boundary of what it is you and this difference between you and an object. And then there's also kinesthetic projection. So that's the technique of, well, you know this, this thing of the body scan? Do you know that meditation? It's a very basic but fundamental meditation. And it's part of the Vipassana tradition. And it comes up in multiple traditions, but most commonly it's known in the Vipassana tradition. And in essence, what the body scan is, is you take your point of attention and you move it around your body. You move it around your arms, your legs, your knees, your muscles, your bones, your ins and outs, your face. And that's a long, arduous process. Well, it's not necessarily always arduous. There is actually also a lot of pleasure in that. There's a lot of liberation in that. But that as a meditation technique can be used as a boundary-dissolving tantra technique, which is that you do a body scan on your partner. Which means you're sensing their insides. You're sensing their muscles. You're moving your attention around all the parts of their bodies. And if you're doing this while in the bedroom while having sex, while being intimate, it makes for a very different experience of sex. And that's the merging because your, your sense of what you are aware of, what you're sensing, moves outside your body. And what you sense outside your body becomes your body. And so when you're sensing your lover and you're really tapping into what is happening inside them, then you're merging. And it's quite a... You, you, I realize how long the path is when I start talking about these things because it's not only that you can sense your partner, but you can also sense objects. You can sense the room that you're in. You can sense the place that you are. So there's a... <laughs> How far does the body scan go? Well, <laughs> it goes beyond the body. <laughs> it goes further than the body. That's how far the body scan goes. And that's very different. Like most of the time when we're having sex, we're still, we're still self-absorbed. Like ABC beginner sex, it, it's really more like wanking with someone there. Like, do you know that difference? Can you see that difference now? Now that we've explained what it means to be close to someone, you can, you can also reverse this to be clear and understand that sex, is not that sex does not always equal intimacy. Sex does not always equal closeness. And on the worst end of that, well, you're just using your, you're using your partner as a dildo. You're using your partner as a as a thing to jerk off with. And there's no connection there at all. It's, it's, completely, it's completely physical. And that's really just bad sex. 
And I can understand to an extent because to be close with someone really takes a lot. Like we, we have our, we have our complexes. We have our trust issues. We have our traumas. We have our problems. We have our regrets. We have our unfulfilled desires. We have our shame. We have these things that we feel guilty about. We have these things we don't want to talk about. We have these bad experiences in our memory, both with intimacy and not. And the role of Tantra as an awareness technique is to confront you in such a way that you realize you need to deal with these things. You need to deal with your problems. You need to deal with your regrets. You need to deal with your walls, with your boundaries. You need to deal with your closed-mindedness. You need to deal with your inability to be comfortable being vulnerable with someone. Not just physically naked, being comfortable being naked, but being vulnerable with your being, with your feelings, with your thoughts, with your perceptions. And Tantra is the path of walking into those things and walking through them and transmuting them into positive things. And you can say, well, I can't be intimate until I've worked with my trauma or I've dealt with my trauma, or I've integrated my trauma, I've understood it. And that might be where you're at. That's okay. Maybe Tantra is not for you. It's not the right time for it. It might also be that your relationship doesn't need these elaborate techniques. There's always so much to explore. There's always so much to find. And really, if you have magic in your relationship, you have authenticity, and you have the juice and the passion, and it's a really dynamic, flowing relationship, well, probably you don't need too much Tantra. Maybe these techniques are just cute little things you can try once or twice. But for us mere mortals, <laughs> or for us common folk, I want to make the most of it. We want to get the best out of it. We want to go for broke. We really want to make something deep out of it and not limit ourselves to anything. So I feel like there's a lot there and I could expand on many of the things we've brought up here today. And that's why this is an introduction to Tantra. And there are more techniques, there are more philosophies, there are more stories, and there are more approaches that you can use to open up to your partner and open up to yourself and open up to your relationship with reality. It really does come back to your relationship with reality. If you can, if you can consider 
your if you can consider reality your partner then that is the supreme tantra and really that's what tantra is your your boyfriend or your girlfriend your shiva or your shakti they are just a test they're like the dress rehearsal for reality and it's really it's really between you and reality it's between you and the universe that is your primary relationship as amazing as your partner is really it comes back to you and your place in the universe and that is the supreme tantra There is also a lot that Osho talks about in regards to Tantra. And I haven't read much of what he says. I thought I'd just share some initial things here. And maybe we can talk about Osho and his ideas, which is a whole other thing. There's so much in that. He has so much to say. He's got a number of books on it. So that's even more to look forward to. That's even more that we can do. There's so much to do. Isn't it exciting? <laughs> There's so much to say. So much to see, so much to try. Okay, I think now, if you've stayed this long, you can stay just a few more minutes. And today, let's do let's do a body scan for closing meditation. But this time, choose an object. So if it's comfortable for you to do so, Stop what you're doing. Sit down somewhere quietly. And close your eyes. And just sit for a few minutes. And we can meditate with this body scan on an object. So think of an object in your room. Think of an object that's nearby you now, wherever you are. Keep your eyes closed. And just imagine where it is. And just imagine what it looks like. What sort of colors it has. What sort of texture it has. What sort of shape it has. And try to sense how heavy it is. What would it take for you to pick that object up? How does it feel to hold that object? And now just focus one point of attention onto one of the corners of that object and really sense that point. And slowly in your own time, move that point through the object. Move it along the edges. Move it into the inside. And try to sense what is happening. What does it feel like to be that object? What is that object? How much density does it have? And keep moving your point of attention around into all the little parts all the corners, all the edges, the top. Make sure you move to the bottom. 
Move to the places which you haven't moved before. And keep that point of attention inquiring into this object. Just scan around, paying your due respects to this one object. And take your time to sit quietly for a few minutes. And that's all I have to say for now.